Flannery O'Connor's oft-quoted introduction to A Memoir of Mary Ann commented on our cultural aversion to seeing any meaning in human suffering. Marianne was a little girl suffering from a tumor on her face that eventually took her life. The nuns that cared for her wanted to help tell her story. O'Connor was initially reluctant because Saccharin's stories about sick children were not her interest. Her stories were much more concerned with human darkness, sin, and the presence of grace. In one of her stories, a Bible salesman steals the false leg of a farm girl. Anyway, she wrote the introduction of the memoir, and here's what she wrote about this little girl. One of the tendencies of our age is to use the suffering of children to discredit the goodness of God. And once you have discredited his goodness, you're done with him. Busy cutting down human imperfection, that is, those who seek to eliminate it, are making headway also on the raw material of good. Ivan Karamazov and the brothers Karamazov cannot believe, he says, as long as one child is in torment. Albert Camus' hero cannot accept the divinity of Christ because of the massacre of the innocents. In this popular piety, we mark our gain in sensibility and our loss in vision. If other ages felt less, they saw more, even though they saw with the blind, prophetical, unsentimental eye of acceptance, which is to say, of faith. In the absence of this faith now, we govern by tenderness. It is a tenderness which long since cut off from the person of Christ is wrapped in a theory. And when tenderness is detached from the source of tenderness, its logical outcome is terror. It ends in forced labor camps and in the fumes of the gas chamber. These reflections seem a long way from the simplicity and innocence of Marianne, but they're not so far removed. Well, O'Connor anticipated that we would save the elderly from living by euthanasia. We would spare suffering to mother and child by abortion. Our reasons would be efficiency and tenderness or it's for their own good. It is a tenderness detached from the person of Christ. We get rid of sin by first mocking it and then deciding we want different rules than God had made. It'll make the world work better. Our world is going to be better if we get to decide good and evil for ourselves. We're told that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Why did he allow Lazarus to suffer and die? Why does he allow our loved ones to suffer and die? What the heck is going on here? This is Oro Valley Catholic, and I'm Father John Arnold. Here's something to think about. Sin and death are tied up together. Sin and death are intertwined in the Paschal Triduum. In the story of Jesus' crucifixion, he's betrayed by Judas and Peter, both his friends. He's a victim of the Sanhedrin's zealotry. That is, he's abandoned by his fellow Jews. And he's subject to Roman cynicism and violence and their love of power and domination. You see, in the Paschal Triduum, Sin and death lead to the destruction of Jesus because sin and death are all about destruction, whether it's our sin or the sins of others. 
Sin and death are about self-destruction, one in the spiritual realm, the other in the physical. St. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, said that Christ's death overcame both sin and death to reveal that neither sin nor death can separate us from the love of God. He continues in the second reading this Sunday. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit dwelling in you. That's in Romans chapter 8. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic that we're all living through is not the first and won't be the last threat to life. Pandemics are frightening because they make us think of death, and death is frightening. Death, however, is at the heart of nature. Every living thing dies. Death absent Christ for the human being is not only the destruction of the body, but also the ruin of the human spirit. Why are sin and death tied together? Physical death destroys our material reality. Sin destroys our spiritual reality. Death is our physical destruction. Sin is our spiritual destruction. It's a straightforward proposition to understand how. We all understand physical death. That doesn't take a lot of explanation. But spiritual death, think about it like this. Every human heart wants to be happy because we're made for happiness. Happiness is possible only if we learn to love God and one another. People can rationalize, they can argue, they say whatever they want. But happiness is being in harmony with God and those that we live with. Sin is to not deny that God is the source of order in the world. God made the world in a particular way. And here's an example of sin, just one, lying. We deny God's order, his reality when we lie, when we misrepresent, that we say black is white and white is black. Lying distorts reality for us and for those whom we mislead, con men, frauds, extortionists. God tells us not to lie because if we are liars, We can't partake in his divine order. We created our own little autonomous world. And it's a tiny, lonely little world where happiness is not possible. Lying ultimately separates us from God and others. Lying is therefore incompatible with our true happiness. And is the experience of self-destruction. Because if we're meant for happiness with one another, to shut off relationship with others, in turn, destroys ourself. Every sin is about spiritual self-destruction because it hurts our relationship with God and others and creates this own tiny little world that we alone live in. Scriptures call that hell. You know, when C.S. Lewis wrote his book, The Great Divorce, his image of hell was this spread out subdivision in a twilight darkening place. And as you went further, the lights grew further and further and further apart because everybody had their own little self-enclosed world. That was his image of hell. The root of all sin is inordinate self-love. Last week, we looked at the man born blind. Jesus healed the man, declaring, I am the light of the world. In today's gospel, when the disciples are resistant to returning to Judea because of the danger from their fellow Jews, Jesus repeats that he is the light of the world. And then he says, 
Are there not twelve hours in a day? If one walks during the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. Jesus is the light of the world. He's revealing something about the glory of God to be found in darkness and death, to be found in our own experience of both. Jesus is the light of the world, and he overcomes death in the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. So here's how it goes. The gospel says that Martha and Mary sent a messenger to Jesus, who was at the place near where John the Baptist had once baptized across the Jordan. See, in this line, what Jesus is about to do with Lazarus' resurrection is linked to his baptism. The messengers asked Jesus, on behalf of the sisters, if Jesus would quickly come because his friend Lazarus was dying. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so Jesus waited two days, arriving in Bethany on the fourth day, thereby permitting Lazarus' death and the decomposition of his body, or at least the beginnings. So how is God's love revealed in how Jesus deals with Lazarus' death? So you need to know this. Lazarus was dead for four days. Jewish tradition was that the soul departed definitively from the body after the third day in the Mishnah, which is actually from after Jesus' time. It's a collection of rabbinic teaching, and that's how you can know something about rabbinic tradition from the first century. But the Mishnah says that you couldn't identify a body for legal purposes after the third day because the soul's gone. Jews did not embalm bodies. They actually allowed the body to decompose. They would use spices and things to cover the odor, but they didn't embalm a body like the Egyptians. Instead, Jewish burial practice, and this is how Jesus was buried, was to put the body in a cave and allow it to decompose. Later, after a year or two, they would return, gather up the bones, and place them into an ossuary, that is, a bone box. So in this story, Lazarus is dead for four days. His soul is gone, 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 dead, exited this mortal coil, cold as a stone. Jesus is clearly teaching about the nature of death. He explained at the beginning that the illness of Lazarus would not end in death. Lazarus did die a physical death, he did. But his physical death was not the last word. God is the mystery that keeps us all in existence. God is what it means to exist. God is not like some kind of super being. God is existence itself. And all people, all things alive in God have their existence as long as God keeps them in existence. Jesus uses his friend's physical death as an opportunity to show the glory of God that is existence itself. And so suffering and death are tied up in this story. What does the role of suffering and death have to teach us in the story of Lazarus? So here's a good question. Why did Jesus allow Lazarus to suffer and die? You have to admit that's a very mysterious thing. A father of the church, St. John Chrysostom, preached about this story saying, 
Many are offended when they see any of those who are pleasing to God suffering anything terrible. Those who are offended by this, however, do not know that those who are especially dear to God have it as their lot to endure such things. As we see in the case of Lazarus, who is also one of the friends of Christ, but was also sick. So when Flannery O'Connor referred to the blind, unsentimental, prophetical eye, she's talking about St. John Chrysostom, amongst others. But think of it about it in our own time, basically in much more recent history. Think of St. John Paul II and his Parkinson's disease. How about St. Bernadette Subaru and the leg tumor that killed her? My lovely St. Therese of Lisieux, suffering from tuberculosis and struggling with spiritual darkness at her death. She thought about suicide, she said. Those whom God loves, he draws into the mystery of the cross, the mystery of his own suffering and his own death, his own experience of abandonment and his will to trust in God. St. Augustine wrote about this. He said, why did Christ weep at Lazarus's death except to teach us to weep? Christ fully participates in the suffering in his life and in the Paschal mystery. God, God in our Christian faith is that God doesn't stand by passively while we suffer. He enters into it. And he weeps and he mourns over the suffering and death of the world. The world is not everything. And to enter into suffering with Christ is to enter into the full reality of love. If you don't want to suffer, don't ever love. To enter heaven, you must bear the suffering that love brings. For a family, for instance, gathered around the one they love, maybe a parent, a spouse, or a child. Um, they love at the deathbed. But death and love and suffering are all there. And the best they can do is accompany. Because the dying are all in God's hands. How about the dying person looking up at the face of the people they love? Your mother's eyes, your spouse's eyes. There is a spiritual as well as a physical suffering there also. Suffering, love, death. They're all tied up together. Friends, this is the deep end of the pool. Love in our dreams is joyful and uncomplicated and always pleasing. Love and practice invariably involves suffering. St. Peter Chrysologos said in this in his homily on the raising of Lazarus, that the reason Jesus allowed Lazarus to suffer and die is because for Christ, it was more important to conquer death than to cure disease. He showed his love for his friend, not by healing him, but by calling him back from the grave. Instead of a remedy for his illness, he offered him the glory of rising from the dead. Next week is Palm Sunday and the beginning of Holy Week and then the Paschal Triduum. And we have a full experience liturgically for that week, whether we meet in person or online. But whether in person or online, what we're preparing to celebrate during Holy Week is the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Happiness with God and one another is the goal of human life. Sin and death threaten the reality of that happiness, one physically, the other spiritually. Last week, Jesus healed the man born blind, declaring that he is the light of the world. The man born blind saw the glory of God in Jesus. 
The Pharisees, on the other hand, grew blind to their sin, plotting his destruction. This week, Jesus permitted the death of Lazarus so that the glory of God would be manifest in the resurrection of Lazarus. Suffering, death, and the glory of God are all closely linked. Next week on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into the experience of human suffering and death forced on him by the sins of betrayal, manipulation, denial, and cynicism. The arc of sin and death finds its resolution in the Easter mystery, where they're all wound up together and the glory of God is revealed. Christianity, at the end of the day, is about the resurrection. Human sin and Jesus' physical death are inextricably interwoven in his victory over both in the Paschal Triduum. Our physical death is certain, with or without this pandemic. Our spiritual death, however, is not certain. Jesus overcame both so that the glory of God is revealed in the human person, fully alive to God and to one another in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This has been another episode of Oro Valley Catholic. Uh, share it with your friends. And as we prepare for Holy Week, which is fast approaching, uh, let's do so in the great hope in God, even in the midst of the present crisis. 